Blog Talk Radio. Dirty talk of any kind might upset you. This is not the show for you. But y'all know that's why you fucking tuned in, don't you? Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out the social media page for www.wickedwitchstudios.com. The limited edition candles for Halloween are on now. Get your oils, your candles your sprays, whatever she's got, go get it. Check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com. All right. So, (laughs) okay, just to be clear, I do have a guest tonight. The amazing Kobe Michael is going to be joining me in a minute. But before we get to my guest, I got something to say. So, I know, no one has asked me for this opinion, but you know what? I haven't asked for y'all's either, but I'm seeing it every five fucking seconds. My children are British by birth. Their father is a shit, but that does not deny the fact that my children are still half British. Her Majesty died two days ago, and for whatever fucking reason, half of my friends have decided, and other people I know, that this is a great time to pile on to the British Empire and point out all of the horrible things that the British Empire have committed. And I understand that, yes, absolutely. Indigenous peoples have suffered horribly. But let me fucking remind you, this is the country that elected Trump. So before you go casting stones all over the British Empire, remember that until we cure racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, we've got nothing to throw at, okay? So please, a little respect. She just fucking died. Wait 48 hours before you start piling on, maybe. I'm not tied to the queen. My only tie to British anything is my kids because of an ex-husband who I wouldn't shit on to save his life. But it's their history. And yes, History is fucked, but our history is fucked, too. Rant over. Kobe, what do you think? I think this is great. You can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, (laughs) the point is is that somebody's mom died, which is shitty. And, And honestly... Her Majesty was not her former Majesty. Obviously, there is now a King Charles III. But, you know, again, not my country. I have respect for my friends who have lost their monarch. My children lost their monarch, even though they don't consider themselves necessarily British because they they were born in America. But the fact is, is that if Barack Obama passed away, I would lose my shit. 
And if anybody came at me with some kind of nonsense about him not being whatever, whatever, I would be really upset. So, I mean, I'm trying to ha- I, I understand how my friends feel about, you know, we have to call out terrible things. But we have our own terrible shit, and I don't get any comfort pointing in another direction when our own house is so fucking filthy. And if we're not fucking careful, we're going to have Trump again if liberals specifically don't do the right thing. So, I mean, yeah, I understand. Listen, it's a queen not for everybody. It's not our fucking country. But maybe wait a little bit before you pile on. To be respectful humans, just to be decent humans. And let's also not forget, she wasn't solely responsible for all the shit that went down. You know, a, a queen is a figurehead in England, not necessarily policymaker. So right. come on, tell me tell, tell me what your thoughts are about all this. Well, um, I think that, you know, it's rude to speak ill of the dead, period, um, especially, you know, 48 hours after they've passed away, um, regards, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not very respectful, especially in a public sphere, and I think that there's just a time and a place for things like that, uh, but I do, you know, have a lot of connections to different individuals in the UK, in, in England, and Scotland, and I know that there are you know, a lot of mixed opinions and high emotions when it comes to Her Majesty, the late Her Majesty, whatever you want to call her. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to remember, too, she had a, I think, a, was it 60-year, 80-year reign? Our 60, presidents yep. only last for, you know, four to eight years at most. So it becomes really, really easy to attach a lot of these you know, really negative societal, almost like generational things um, to the, the person that's been around the longest, um, where it becomes a little bit easier to forget, I think, or not attach so much to the human being, you know, when you're seeing them rotate out every every few years. But I also think people are just really looking for any opportunity to lash out about anything. You know, we've got Mercury retrograde, uh, I think a Mars retrograde um, in Gemini, which just makes all sorts of communication is going to be very aggressive and not very nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a hyper-aggressive. Anyone who knows me knows that I can be a bit hyper-aggressive. It's actually one of my strong suits, what can I say? But anyway, that's not why you're on the show tonight. You're on the show tonight to talk about this amazing book, The Poison Path Herbal, and so we can learn about you. So, my friend, thank you again for waiting after I had to deal with my husband's accident. Unfortunately, I had to postpone this visit because of that, but you're here now. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for bearing with me through everything. So tell me. Where did you come from? What's your family like? How did you get on this path? Start at the beginning. Well, I came from Indiana. Um, So I am a Midwestern witch, born and raised. (laughs) Uh, I live in Florida now. Uh, I was pretty much raised by a single mom, grandparents, grandparents. conservative Christian household, nothing, you know, nothing crazy, no snake handlers or anything like that, but still, you know, 
the Bible, the Lord, all of that was very present uh, in my life. And I, you know, I discovered witchcraft really early, really, really early. Really? How did how did you discover witchcraft? Like, was it something you saw on TV, or was it something you heard about? Um, well, it's going on probably about like the 30, 30 year anniversary now. Um, but I think I, I really kind of owe it to my dad, whom I, I like. I really don't have any kind of relationship with. He wasn't a great father. Um, but before my parents got divorced, one thing that I do remember was that he was kind of like an amateur stage magician. So he would do like the sleight of hand, rabbit out of a hat sort of stuff, and he would do that for me and my friends, and that was just really exciting. Um, And I think that was kind of my first exposure to to kind of the idea of magic, Um, and it planted a seed that really has kind of like grown and developed and changed throughout my life, just you know, all of the different influences and everything, so. What was your experience of, yeah, but what was your experience of church? Like, when you were growing up, did you, did you really, like, just know this is not my situation, or, you know, like, you you instantly didn't believe the things you were hearing? Because I know a lot of folks go through a, a period, you know, when you're with your family, it's kind of like, well, this is what they believe. So, you know, you get brought up into that. And for a little while, it seems feasible and a good idea. But then there is, you know, the judgment starts in and, and you start shying away from it. Was that your experience? Um, I don't think any, any little kid likes to go to Sunday school. So that was definitely <laughs> kind of element of just not wanting to go but I remember and it would especially be in in like the adult sermons that I would find myself in sometimes that just almost like every fiber of my being was just kind of like screaming no like this is just not for you get out didn't really even have anything to do with the the content of the sermon or anything like that but it was just just something like a very very deep deeply rooted aversion to this and I like I really tried. I went to Bible school. I went through catechism. I memorized the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. You know, read the Left Behind series. Like did all of these things to try and, oh, and wow. be that. But it was never. Yeah. It was never for me. It just didn't didn't resonate whatsoever. Yeah, my mother is really. I mean, my mother's a preacher. She's a Pentecostal preacher. And she's really into the whole Left Behind series. And that shit just, no, I, I, I can't even find it plausible. And it's weird to say that as somebody who practices magic. I mean, I, I recognize um, the diametrically opposed things in my own life and my own uh, thought processes between Christianity and magical. It's like, if you believe in magic, why is this shit not possible? And I just don't feel it. I mean, like, there's a feeling in your soul or your heart or wherever that, that voice is that tells you this shit's not real, this couldn't fucking be. I mean, a God that hates you for whatever reason, you know, 
because, you know, as a bisexual, you know, that was an abomination, you know, I couldn't do that, and I was judged for that, and, and it's like, why, if God is peace and love and all these groovy things, but God doesn't like me for certain shit. It's like, what? It just doesn't, that to me does not resonate as something that could possibly be real. Certainly not the way it's been preached. Did you get mm-hmm. shit like that too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was really more so with coming to terms with um, mortality and life and death. I was always very concerned about what was going to happen to my loved ones when they died, me, like what the whole scenario was, what everybody thought, and nobody could really like prove anything to me, and it just all felt very kind of suspicious. <laughs> so that, that, that really like shook the foundation. And I mean, yeah, the homophobia and xenophobia and misogyny that's present in Christianity is is definitely a turnoff, you know, but for me, it started at a a super young age and just not the whole heaven and hell and sin and eternal damnation and things like that. Those are not like concepts that children should have to grapple with or even try and understand or even be introduced to. Um, So it's just, it was just not good. It was I was a very old soul. I've been around for a lot of lifetimes, and I'm, I feel like I'm kind of coming in to sort of wrap things up a little bit. And I just I Ooh. called bullshit on Christianity from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, you and know, my- I, I got to tell you, I agree with that. No, you have to call out the bullshit in in faith based things because. Especially that, because people will do some really evil, hateful shit in the name of what they, quote-unquote, believe are their gods. And, mm-hmm. you know, talk about wars being started, you know, more more wars are started by religion, as everyone knows. So, yeah, I think religions are really fucking dangerous. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you can't back up, like, Genesis and the creation of the universe, and you can't explain Revelation and the end of the end of the world, the first and the last books of the Bible, if you can't explain, yeah. like, those concepts to me, then I really don't want to, I don't need to know the rest. Like, it all is just bullshit. The beginning and the end is bullshit, and the middle is bullshit, too. Mm-hmm. There you go. It's all stories to, to let people control other people. I mean, it's a per- it's a perfect example of like my childhood. You know, my father used God as a weapon, and it's like, how did you expect me to want to be in this when you're already a brutal human being, and now God hates me too? That's like a a surefire ticket to witchcraft. Although I was a practicing witch before that ever happened, um, my mother started off as a witch too. Long story doesn't need to be told again. But it's weird, you know. I mean, when you get threatened and threatened and threatened, this is why this is why Christianity tends to fail a lot because they bring you in with this promise of eternal love and and peace and happiness. But boy, that that stick behind the carrot is fucking brutal and it threatens the life of everyone you love. So they haven't gotten their messaging correct yet. It's been quite a long time. I don't think they'll ever get it quite right. But anyway. Um, so yeah, so you grew up, you had 
some exposure to sleight of hand and, and potentials of magic. So how did you develop into becoming a witch? Oh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I always, um, you know, I made my own potions in the woods. I always, you know, I would try and cast spells. Like magic was just something that I always wanted to do. And I think maybe in early childhood kind of being introduced through like literature and media and things like that, you know, coming to kind of understand this, this witch image, like the Wicked Witch of the West, Pocus Pocus. Yep. Um, all, you know, like the early 90s witches and things like that. Like I, um, I just really gravitated towards that. And I remember as probably around 10 years old, I was uh, really close friends with a, a cousin of mine that was also into witchcraft and we would just talk about it and we were just super into it, watched movies about it. And I remember that that elicited a really, really strong negative reaction from my mom. And that was kind of the very uh-huh. first real dramatic reaction against anything like that that I remember. And that kind of stuck with me. And I think anytime you yeah. tell me, like, not to do something or be all, like, crazy, suspicious about it, like, it's going to pique your curiosity. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that rebel spirit. Absolutely. You've got you've to gotta go against the grain and find your own way. I mean, I'm concerned about people who believe what they believe purely based on family history. Familial history mm-hmm. can be a really dangerous thing. Um, you know, when you're raised with people who are against certain people for sexuality or how they look or whatever, um, it's a bad thing place to put your prejudices into somebody else like that. I think anything that we develop, we kind of really need to figure out on our own. I'm a big believer in not raising children with any kind of religion because I think it's too personal to, like, force someone into. And I still see people forcing their kids into churches and things like that. And I just think it's got to be this self-discovery exploration that you have to do on your own. But, you know, with the yeah. threat of constant fire and damnation and don't you care if your baby's soul goes to hell? Well, I guess I would if I believed in it, but I don't. So there's that. But here's the really weird thing, and tell me what you think about this. You had mentioned earlier about, you know, concerns about death and dying, And for the longest time, and I guess sometimes I still feel kind of nervous about it because I'm not quite sure what it entails. Have your views on your own death changed at all? Yeah, absolutely. Now, now it's more of an (laughs) it's more of an existential fear. I think it's much more attached to ego than any fear of a you know, a damning God waiting at the end, you know, to send me down to the inferno. It's more a fear of dissolution, fear of losing the self, fear of losing identity Mm. and connection to all the things that I love. And um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of that is, is really tied to kind of my, my emotional state, my anxiety, uh, just how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. about things. Um, that that fear tends yeah. to kind of bubble up. It generally happens in waves. 
Yeah, you know, here's the interesting thing that I noticed. I believe in, multi, you know, having lived multiple lives. Well, mm-hmm. I don't remember my last life very specifically, so I wonder if I had the same fears for previous lives or concerns for previous lives as I do right now, and I kind of think maybe not. That's kind of my cue to try to let it go because if I really have been here multiple times, I've already experienced all of these things already. I just don't remember them. So just throwing that out there. So maybe it's not, and I know the fear of losing the conscious being that you are now, the wanting to retain memories and the wanting to retain people and experiences. But I think, that's why we remember stuff from our past lives because some of that does stay with us. So I try to comfort myself with that. So hopefully that'll help somebody along who's got the same kind of worries and fears. It's like we've all done this already. Don't don't stress it. When when you go, you won't know it. it your consciousness will will move and you'll you'll just go on to whatever your next phase is, whether it's coming back or just going back to the great well of, of knowledge where they take a big scooper and pour out another version of a human, and there you go. And those, those little memories and fragments of things you remember will go right back in there too. So, yeah, I, I lived a long time with a huge fear of dying because you don't know. And you won't know until you get there, so just enjoy the ride now. But, okay, so... The poison path herbal. How did you wind up in this particular field? Well, it, it came from I think the years and years of of reading and and studying and practicing witchcraft and kind of not feeling like I had settled in the place that I needed to be and it was sort of a a drive that I didn't know what I was being driven to. Um, mm-hmm. I just discovered working with with poisonous plants and and baneful herbs or or malefic herb magic, if you will, through kind of more more folkloric practices. Um, so conjure, hoodoo, medieval witchcraft, um, the the magic of like the common people, because those were the people that were not afraid to cast the love spell for advancement or to kill their abusive husband with poison or, you know, to do all of these, these things to, to undermine authority uh, and things like that. So it was uh, through that that I kind of realized that, you know, there were magical practitioners that were working with plants like wolfsbane and belladonna and things like that because of their poisonous nature um, because of that kind of deadly aura that they have about them. And once I discovered that it was a, a legitimate thing that was that was being done traditionally and it wasn't just like all of the the books would say, oh, you know, they're just using those words as code or they're just doing it to make it sound like extra witchy, like there was an actual reason and there's actual like mythology behind them. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. how it started. <laughs> Being dissatisfied. Well, awesome. I mean, you've got you've got a lot of the lore in here, and you've got a couple of recipes which are really cool. And 
I love the fact that you very bravely put this out because I still find, and listen, not casting dispersions. Love and light is great for some people, but it doesn't work for me. So to now have this book, I mean, Utterly Wicked, which is Dorothy Morrison's texting book, is one of my favorite books, and but they're few and far between. And and now I've got this baneful uh, herb and magic book that you wrote that I really, really like. Um, it's a really cool book. It's great for information. I'm not suggesting everybody go out there and put something together to hurt somebody, but, you know, I'm also not telling you what to do. So do you, boo, whatever you got to do. I mean, do you feel like the book should have come with a warning label, or do you feel as I do that people got to do you? You know what I'm saying? You got to do yourself and make those decisions. Um, the book definitely does come with a warning label. There's a disclaimer at the beginning um, that mentions that I am not a clinical herbalist. I am an academic herbalist, uh, herbal researcher. And at the end of the day, like we we are the last threshold, you know, to what goes in our body. So ultimately, it's our own choice, and it's it's always yeah. been knowledge over fear for me. And that was what I wanted uh, with putting this book out there was to, to provide the knowledge to try and get rid of some of the unnecessary fear. Why are people so afraid? I mean, you know, we've come such a long way in ex- in expressing and learning that, you know, and a lot of which is go back to the threefold law and, you know, harm at none and blah, blah, blah. And, Listen, I, I had to learn that harm, harm at none meant har- no harm to me either because I was also one of these people at one point who was like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody because I didn't want to recognize the fact that sometimes people need to be hurt. Um, Absolutely. You know, and how it happens is how it happens. And, you know, it's not like I'm saying – you know, do something to somebody and then run up and down the streets proclaiming it was you, uh, especially when it comes to certain political figures. People like to, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff. I'm really private about the stuff that I do in that regard. If I have a certain feeling in a certain direction, I may do an incantation or a spell or what have you. But you know what I mean? I, I feel like if you're willing to take the responsibility and whatever bounces back, because shit does bounce back in the world. It just, you know, it happens. If you do it right, great. If you don't do it right, some shit's going to fly your way. That's how life works. Um, but as long as you're okay with that, you should be able to do what you will, right? Yeah, so a lot of the fear around poisonous plants in general, part of it comes from kind of a an animal instinct that is just hardwired into us to have visceral fear reactions to things that are poisonous, from plants to bugs to whatever as a, a survival thing. Um, but part of that, right. the fear has kind of been perpetuated, um, and it's been perpetuated in the, the herbal community um, as well as the magical community. Um, and we don't see this in as much in non-European um, traditions, cultures, there's a, a much 
sort of broader umbrella of, of low-dose herbs or poisonous plants and their medicinal and magical uses. And there's a better understanding of kind of poison being this spectrum of these different profound effects that can happen. Um, so it's not necessarily about harming other people or, or baneful magic all of the time, but kind of exploring this concept of poison um, from an occult perspective uh, and also... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lore behind these, these plants. Is, it's like studying the, the history of kind of Indo-European witchcraft as it sort of evolved and moved around and changed and, you know, the ancient world's understanding of, of sorcery and, and poison magic and how that translates into sort of the, the war on drugs and women's suffrage yeah. and things like that. And it's, it's just all wrapped up in so many of these things that are all so important to so many marginalized groups of people that happen to find themselves in witchcraft that to not know their yeah. story, you're doing like a big disservice yeah. to yourself. So you don't even have to use them, but at least like know their stories. <laughs> yeah, know why it's, you know, know how it's used, know where it's used, know why it's used. I mean, it's not like I'm about to go run out and buy a bunch of these specific herbs to create a specific effect. But I think, but like you said, the knowledge alone is valuable and, and worth knowing. You know, I would mentioned to you earlier that one of my first books uh, as a witch was The Magical Formulary by Herman Slater, which, you know, kind of threw caution to the wind and, and had spells for good shit and had spells that some people may not feel are so positive. And, you know, mm. having that reality in my hands at, at a really early age was very valuable. And finding a book like that since has not been, not been all that easy. There are a couple of really cool formulary books. I know Lady Rhea did one. Um, in New York, she's a fantastic lady, um, and and I know there's probably ones that I know nothing about, but I don't think there's enough of them. I don't think it's enough of it, an accepted practice. Did anyone try to talk you out of doing this book? <laughs> Everybody has been extremely supportive and extremely okay. appreciative for me getting this information out there except for one person. Oh. <laughs> that, that one person that confronted me directly on social media, questioning kind of my my ethics behind making this information available to the general public and, and sort of the implications of, you know, putting poisonous plant information out there for anyone. Wow, um, this came from a, really? Herbal, a clinical herbalist. Yep. Okay, so I have to know, um, I'm sure you responded to this. Would you like to share what went down? Oh, gosh, it was over a year ago. I barely even remember what I had said. Oh, I should look it up and read it off to you. But, um, you know, just just along the lines of it's all 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 knowledge over fear and you know the reason that there is so much like misunderstanding and anxiety when it comes to plants like this is because people don't know how to work with them 
And a lot of poisonous plants also happen to be, you know, extremely medicinal when used in certain ways. And so kind of recovering some of that knowledge. And um, there's just a lot of red tape and a lot of gatekeeping that comes from, I think, a fear of liability from registered herbalists. Uh, so that's why I refer to myself as a renegade herbalist. I think that's amazing. That's wonderful that you were brave enough to say, you know what, fuck this. This information needs to be out there. And, I mean, if anyone had the wherewithal to do the actual work that you did to acquire the information, it, I mean, these are, these are public uh these are things that are out there in the public, are they not? You just have to really do the do the work, do the research, which you've done for us. It's not like Correct. you created something. You know, it's not like it just came out of your head that this stuff is dangerous. I think, you know, forewarned is forearmed, and you, you you've gone a long way to get getting this information out in public hands where it can do some good. You know, I always wonder when people um, question other, you know, question writers about what they're doing, if it's not all, again, love and light, um, you know, there tends to be this thing about, well, what if a child sees it? Well, again, there are some things that are for adults, and there are some things that are for children, and they're not the same things. Everything is not for everyone. So I'm glad you right. didn't have a lot of I'm glad you didn't have a lot of resistance, but I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that, you know, a fellow herbalist um had took issue with it. I, I I'm I'm just mm. kind of surprised. Another learned person who, you know, knows about such things should have been mm-hmm. like applauding you saying, Oh, good good on you. Good, do that. Get that information out there. That's amazing. So I, I guess you've gotten a lot of appreciation for this information, which I think is fantastic. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. that there is going to be a follow-up book to this book. Yeah, yeah, there will be. <laughs> so the the book that you see there, I I started writing that book in in 2017. So a lot has changed. I've been I've been working with these plants on a, a daily basis for the past, you know, five years, um, either writing about them, researching them, working with them um, physically in ritual and things like that. So uh, kind of to catch everybody up, uh, wanting to do this next book, which is going to be more focused on their their ritual uses and their uses in spell work and really providing some actual um, you know, specific rituals for, you know, specific intention uh, as opposed to just yeah. going over different correspondences and more of like the, the chemical information, which was important for the first book. I want the, the second book, yeah. which is going to be called The Poison Path Grimoire, uh, is going to be more focused on kind of the, the dark herbalism side of things, the beneficium. Very. When can we look for that? I'm hoping to do the announcement for that um, this Halloween, and then the book will hopefully be available by um, Halloween 2023. 
Very cool. That's exciting. So I've got to yeah. ask, because I know you've been doing all this work with these herbs in addition to the research. Um, have you accidentally um, not contaminated yourself, but have you accidentally had too much of a specific substance? Did you have some ill effects <laughs> during any of your research? You're laughing, so I'm thinking you're, you've got a story for me in there somewhere. <laughs> okay, spill it. What happened? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've I've accidentally and, and unintentionally poisoned myself with a, a lot of substances over the years. Um, but uh, poison specifically. <laughs> Because uh, it's been part of kind of my recovery process, too. So it's very much connected to, you know, getting rid of, like, these old pharmaceutical poisons that I was poisoning with my, mm. myself with, kind of replacing them with, with healing poisons in certain ways. Um, yeah. But that's not to say that I'm necessarily ingesting them on a, a super regular basis. You know, that's something that's usually saved for more rare um, ceremonial occasions but yes there have been a couple of times where I've poisoned myself because <laughs> uh, that's essentially what you're what you're doing and what you have to do when you are trying to to push the boundary and get to those more entheogenic doses uh, yeah. but uh, you don't really have to worry about poisoning yourself when it comes to topical application so working with flying ointments and anointing oils and even smoking blends um, I was being kind of reckless and experimenting with a tea, which is a big no-no. Um, and I knew that at the time, but I wanted, I needed to know for myself. And now I know, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> what? But I don't, I don't want you to necessarily name what it was because I don't want to give anybody any ideas. But what were the <laughs> ill effects that you had from from whatever it was? Um, it starts off with redness, hot skin, um, the most intense cotton mouth that you could ever imagine, times like a hundred. And then you get this really, really intense urge to urinate, but it's impossible for you to because your um, the muscles inside your digestive system become paralyzed. Um, then the the blurred vision kicks in, then you sort of cross over into the delirium, which is more um, auditory hallucinations, so hearing voices, feeling presences, um, and a lot, a lot of shadow people, because depending on the plants that you're working with, the, the visions kind of shift their content. You know, a psychedelic mushroom is going to be different than a, a, a Saturnian nightshade as far as the, the content of the experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. not, not comfortable, yeah. not comfortable in, in any sense of the word. <laughs> it sound, I mean, it sounds painful and miserable and not at all like, ha-ha, I overdid it. it. It's more like, oh, my God, I overdid it, like in a painful, horrible way. So I'm really sorry that that happened, but thank you for, you know, using yourself as the experiment for this, this scientific project because I, I don't know if we would have this book unless there were things being done like that. So, I mean, I don't encourage you to hurt yourself, but thank you for having done the things you've done to bring us this knowledge because 
I'm a scaredy cat. I, I don't fuck around with shit anymore like that. I used to, back in my day, man, woo, hook me up to it. I, I'll try anything <laughs> once, twice if I like it, three times if it was good. I, I was into my shit. Um, but let me ask you another let me ask you another question, because you had mentioned um, using green forbs for, for actual healing. Do mm-hmm. you think that there are herbs out there that really can cure some of our hardest diseases? Do you think there's already a cure for, say, cancer or leukemia or sickle cell? Do you, do you have any ideas or feelings about that? I believe that it's out there, assuming that we haven't deforested the portion of the rainforest that that particular plant could be found in. Um, You know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of plants that we don't know about yet. Um, And there's a lot to be explored with with poisonous plants and psychedelic fungi. Um, You know, those those are within the same category. Um, often, you know, psychedelic fungi like amanita and, and psilocybin are referred to as poisonous mushrooms, but they're not. Um, they might seem like it's poisonous because it upsets your tummy, but it's not poisonous in the sense that it's going to kill you. So there's, you know, been like a, a really big resurgence in psychedelic therapy, psychedelic studies, and poisonous plants are part of that when we look at them um, for their, their entheogenic effects, which are just another term for, for psychedelic or hallucinogenic, essentially. Yeah. Um, but within a real and, context. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you say that because I've noticed the local resurgence. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've noticed the local resurgence of psilocybin mushrooms. And, mm-hmm. you know, I talk to people who, who trip whenever they get the opportunity. And, you know, there's a lot of, I'm finding that, you know, back in my day, a million years ago, we would sit around and, like, listen to music or we would do stupid shit like go to a movie. Like, I was tripping balls when I saw Alien in the theater. (laughs) Yeah, I was fucked. Uh, It was crazy. I was throwing up. Everybody was getting sick. Like, before we got into the theater. Once we got into the theater, I could not watch what we were watching because it was freaking me out so badly. I we uh-huh. had some my group had some stupid fucking ideas when we were young, and we would be you know we would take anything, we would try anything once uh, at least, <laughs> and usually we tried it multiple times just to be sure. Um, you know, I mean, and my group did everything from you know snorting heroin, coke, you know, all the acid, <laughs> all the tripping. Yes, it was insane. And we, gra- you know, we graduated. They say pot is a gateway drug. No, people are a gateway drug. The drugs are just there. We just wanted more. It wasn't like pot led us to anything except for the fact that it was like, oh, pot's nice. That's nice and fucking mellow. Let's go further. Let's see how deep we can really get, you know, MDNA, which was the forerunner of ecstasy. We knew the people that were making it. So, I mean, yeah, we did some shit. And we found that in the right dosages, you know, the forerunner, I don't really know about ecstasy the way it was produced because I had already stopped taking drugs by then. 
Um, but back in the day, MDMA, uh, when that was first being produced, was like an eternal love drug. I don't know if you have any experience with it, but it was the one thing that everyone could say. I'm sorry? I do. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Like, you could take the right dose, and everyone would love everyone in the room, but even after you came down, the emotion was still there. It was one of the most mm-hmm. intense, interesting experiences I had ever had in my life, then or since. I've never had anything like the MDNA we had back in the late 70s, early 80s. Crazy shit, but it was good shit. Mm-hmm. Now everything's cut with other shit, and it's all, you know, half of it's poison, and you don't know what you're getting. It's it's yeah. kind of sad. We had, we had some good quality shit in my day. But, yeah, I mean, I just feel like, you know, especially for folks who have anxiety, as, to bring it back to the, the mushroom situation, you know, I talk to people who take it now and they use it to try to explore those feelings of, and I'm not encouraging anybody to do drugs. You have to, your adults do adult things, make up your own mind. But what I'm being told is, is that people are using it to try to overcome some of the reasons for their anxiety while they're mm-hmm. in that state. Do you find that to be uh, something you've heard or experienced? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is kind of sort of their their manifestation, I think, for the modern world and how they can help us. You know, we are not mm-hmm. um, living in indigenous societies. We are not in, in cultures that are, are shamanic, so we don't necessarily have the same needs or the same context mm-hmm. for a lot of these experiences. So... Um, for a lot of people suffering from anxiety, depression, um, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of these different neurological things can can benefit from working with different types of um, plant medicine, uh, typically through, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, microdosing, uh, even LSD. And I know you mentioned um, yeah. MDMA as well. They're, they're, I think, restarting research or looking into it again as far as uh, using MDMA to treat PTSD in um, military personnel. Yeah, there's a, a really awesome show on Netflix about all of this. Uh, it's called How to Change Your Mind. Oh, wow, really? Cool. I have to write yep. that down. Yep, that looks goes through the whole psychedelic renaissance, LSD, mushrooms, MDMA, um, through a kind of a clinical setting and how uh, doctors and psychologists are, are using them again to, to treat people. So it's really awesome. That, you know, that makes me so happy to know that they're, you know, not shying away from the use of some, what we considered some really good drugs in our day to, like, help people, you know, I because I just remember everybody saying, oh, you're going to rot your mind and all these different things, all these disparaging things. Oh, yeah. Comments. And it was generally espoused by people who had never done them, who knew precious little about the experience. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you haven't tried it, you really can't knock it, as, you know, or you shouldn't for other people. Listen, everybody has to make their own decisions about everything. But, you know, if something can help you, you know, it's it's 
it's worth exploring. I absolutely believe that. And I'm really happy to know that they're looking at MDNA for, for, for veterans. Because I think it could do a lot of good in the right, in the right settings, in the right dosages. I will tell you, I had a bad hit of MDNA once, and it was not cute. I had 24 right. hours of, like, at first the makers were like, maybe we should give her more to cut the bad batch. I'd gotten a bad batch. And uh, it was, it was, it was, it was touch and go for, for a number of hours. I mean, fortunately it came out of it, but yeah, I've done some stupid shit. I'm the first to admit I have done stupid shit. I don't think there's any shame in, in saying I have fucked up in my day. All right. So I, I've got to ask, and I know you hate this question because I'm, well, I'm assuming you hate this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So mm -hmm. what's your favorite? Which is your favorite poison? <laughs> yeah, everybody asks that. My favorite poison, my favorite poisonous plant would be deadly nightshade, Atropa belladonna. Cool. Why? Yeah. Why is that your favorite? <laughs> to me, it is sort of the quintessential herb of the the witch archetype. Um, it is seductive, aphrodisiac, it draws you in, um, it's very mysterious, uh, but it also is very dangerous and deadly and kind of sadistic, and it's, it just sort of wraps up all of the things that, that I am as a practitioner, from the love magic to the poison path to the psychedelic spirituality side, um, and it is a great uh, feminine and queer sort of a plant ally to work with for a lot of different things. So I just love it. <laughs> and and Stevie Nicks has it as an album for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, yep, you know, I, just, I, I love it. I, I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Have you worked with it yourself? Belladonna? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that I've um, worked with as a tea. I work, put it in flying ointments, um, a little bit of, of incense and smoking blends with it, but not a whole lot. Um, but I've really picked apart its history, mythology, its chemistry. And when you get into you know, some of the, the chemical stuff, the different compounds and the, the action that it has and have kind of an understanding for the occult qualities of it, you start to draw like so just some really interesting parallels. So I've just completely fallen off my rocker and gone down this this nightshade rabbit hole that I don't think I'll ever come back from. <laughs> hey, listen, if, it's, if you're enjoying it and it is doing what you need it saying, and that's cool. But you mentioned incense, and I find that interesting. So are you working a lot with healing smokes and that type of thing? Yeah, I do a lot of, of smudge bundles and um, pre-rolled smoking blends for ceremony and things like that. Um, those don't all necessarily have poisonous plants in them. Uh, I do have a mushroom smoking blend, and um, a lot of the, the incenses will generally have henbane, which is a, a more mild poisonous plant option to work with. Um, but that's kind of one thing that I learned through this exploration um, you know, it sounds kind of scary and intimidating because you're smoking 
Um, and there are definitely certain plants that you absolutely don't want to smoke, um, but it is a, a traditional option um, that we have, like, historic precedents for in, in different parts of the world, and there are certain poisonous plants that have actually been made into cigarettes and used to help with asthma and other um, respiratory issues and things like that. So if there's precedent for it, people have done it in the past, you know, we can safely and, and cautiously do it today, too. Um, so that is a is an option. And you're able to control the amount a little bit easier when you're smoking. You know, you can take a few hits, sit there, put it down, feel the plant medicine, feel the spirit, and kind of go from there, where, you know, you down a, a cup of tea, you're absorbing that kind of throughout your entire digestive tract, you know, where with smoking, it's, it's instantaneous. So you're not going to get yourself in a bad situation as, as easily. Well, that's good to know for people yeah. who might be interested in in maybe a subtle, you know, a subtle start into this kind of thing. That sounds pretty brilliant. So tell people about um, your your Poison Path online course. Um, the Poison Path online course is being hosted at the School of Ritual through the House of Twigs, uh, which is an online education resource. Um, so it is an intro to the poison path in that um, it's just a, a very extensive kind of work at your own pace poison path course. Um, it goes through mm -hmm. some of the same things that are in the book, but also expands on like more of the practical uses on incorporating baneful herbs and shadow work and meditation, yoga, um, giving some different options that kind of fall within the category of poison path but are a little bit safer to work with. Um, yeah. Sounds great. What about your website? Tell people where they can buy products and things. Yeah, the website is thepoisonersapothecary.com. Um, there is a blog page on the website as well with all kinds of free articles and information. Uh, but that's also where you can find all of my products. So pretty much everything, all of the recipes that you find in the book, if you're wanting to try anything, uh, you can find those on the website. Um, and also, if I could plug my um, conference that I have coming up, it will be around the spring equinox. This will be the second year that we're doing it. Uh, it's called the Botanica Obscura Conference. Uh, so it's a weekend of different presenters all talking about poisonous and psychoactive plants. Cool. Oh, wow. When is yeah. that? Give me the date of that. Uh, spring equinox. Spring equinox. Cool. So that's coming up next year. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. So... Are you doing any other live events? Are you doing any uh, other pagan-esque things where people can catch up with you? Yes. Um, I do a flying ointment class every October. Um, that is held on Zoom. So that's coming up. Um, I'm also going to be out on the West Post in person at the end of October. Um, yeah, that's on. 
The flying ointment class is October 16th. Cool. And when are you going out with? Um, the end of October, I believe, the 22nd. Very cool. So how do people yeah. find you in general uh, when they want to have questions or, or just get to know more about what you're doing? Um, the best place is on Instagram at Poisoner's Apothecary or on Twitter at Poison Path. I'm also on Facebook, cool. all the things. If you just plug in Poisoner's Apothecary, you'll find me on, on it. And you, you have a blog on Patheos, correct? Yes, I've been blogging with Patheos since 2016, so there's a, a lot of um, content that's out there too, uh, patheos.com slash blogs slash Poisoner's Apothecary. Well, Kobe, I have to tell you, I have totally enjoyed this visit. I really appreciate you coming on and, like, sitting through my rant with me and, and hanging out with me and giving me all this great information. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm glad we could do it. Well, I hope we get to do it again for your new book when that comes out, which I'm not pushing information yet, but you'll tell me and, <laughs> and, and we can do that. Um, so, yes, please, I hope you will come back and, and talk to me about the next book. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Okay, everybody, The Poison Path Herbal. Kobe Michael is the author. Please check him out. Check him out in all of the spaces, social media. Check out his blog. Check out his all of the good things. It's been a wonderful learning experience. Kobe, thank you again, and we will talk soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, I will be back tomorrow with Laurel Woodward. We're going to talk about her book, her newest book. It's going to be a blast. Talk to you then. Have a great night, everybody.